Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, we're going to talk about prayer for the next four weeks. Um, for no other reason other than this. I just realised coming up too, by the way, you know, it's, this is, today, is, today is the third anniversary of me being uh, the senior minister here at Northside, which is cool. Yeah, no, it's... That's not why I thought it, you know, for, for, for some, you're going, wow, that went, that's gone quickly already. For others, if you're like me, it feels like it's 10 years already in terms of how it's been. But why I think it's important is that uh, a, a lot of the prayer of my heart has been, uh, particularly this year, when you get a sermon series together, you think through and you're thinking about the church and where we're headed and what we're doing and what God is up to and, and how we're all going to gather together and and the things that we could be doing and, and, a, and a deep prayer of my heart, particularly the last couple of months, has been, Lord, I don't want us to be clever. I want God to do something in this place that by the time it's done, uh, people will look at what he has done in this place and go, there's no way that a person's hand can be upon this, that God's hand is upon this. I don't want to be strategic. Although strategy is a very important part of what we're doing. But I just want God to show up. And that's why we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the common prayers we often pray. We thought too we could have had a series on prayer and how you should pray. And we'll get to that. But I want to look at the common prayers this morning. The prayer for guidance. Don't we often pray that one? Next week, the prayer for experience. Here's an interesting one, week three, a prayer in the midst of darkness. And then in week four, we're going to look at the ultimate prayer that was ever prayed, which will actually show you how to do all three. But this morning, we're going to look at the prayer of guidance. And part of the reason why we often pray for guidance, right, is that we're constantly faced with decisions in life where there can be multiple right decisions, have you ever found that? It's a, it's a bit like you noticed going across the Harbour Bridge. Have you noticed those, uh, those as the road forks, those barriers that are at the, at the point of that fork in the road? Have you ever noticed those? And they've got, often got water in them if the car's going to crash into that so the driver doesn't kill themselves. And then I, I drive past that and I've noticed uh, from time to time that someone has actually crashed into that thing. That someone's actually gone into the barriers, it's probably saved their life. But I think for most of us, when we face the big decisions in life, we're like that person that we get to a, a left or a right, a fork in the road, and we just end up driving straight ahead. <laughs> Should I marry this person or that person? Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I push? Should I retreat? Ever felt that? I think when we are praying for guidance in those moments, what we're really praying for is not just God's guidance, but his wisdom. We've talked about this before. Wisdom is always insight applied in the right context, right insight in the right context. Fruit salad principle, right? Insight is that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is don't put it into the fruit salad. No, and, and wouldn't we love it too if we could just have a, have a guidebook, a rule book when we get to all these decisions that we could just look up what we had to do when we got to these moments and we could just look at a lot, it, it could guide us. But the problem is there's 90% of life's decisions, the guidebook doesn't apply. <laughs> there is no rule. You need 
wisdom, God's wisdom, the ability to make the right decision in the right context at the right time. And so we pray this, God, give me your guidance. What do I do next? Ever prayed that prayer? Some of you are probably praying it this week. Give me guidance for this thing that I'm going to move into. Give me, what do I do next? Now, before we look at how God can help us in that way, I want you to do this. Bit of an exercise. It's a cold winter's morning. Let's warm up for a bit. I just want you to bow your heads for a second, just in your seat there by yourself. And what I want you to do in your mind's eye is begin to visualize how you've ended up to be at this point right now. Here sitting in an air-conditioned auditorium. Think of all the micro decisions that had to happen over a lifetime. How did you first hear about God or the church? Who were the people in your life, if you're a Christian, that were influential in you making that decision? Their faces would be coming to mind now. Uh, what had to happen for you to meet that person? When you met that person, how did they... How did they grow you up in the Lord? How did certain life events shape you and push you either away from God or back towards God or away from God or back towards God again? And then eventually is to the point that we're here today that you're sitting here listening to this message. Okay, you can open your eyes now. You don't need to go to sleep that early in my message. It's interesting, isn't it? I think of a church at St. Paul's Seaforth. I think of a stained glass window with a picture of Jesus, which caused me to open my heart to him. I think about a random trip to Canada, which you know I went over there to go a bit crazy and instead I found God. I think of a pastor who invested in me in years and then eventually I end up becoming a minister myself. And I'm sure many of you have got stories like that. And here's the point. Here's why we do this. When you look at your life from that sort of arc, wouldn't you agree that God's guidance is something that he does rather than something that he gives? Of course, there were micro leadings in all of that along the way, but look at the arc of your life in the way that God has worked for many of you. Now, God's guidance is something that he that he does to us rather than he gives to us is not necessarily what the average person wants to hear. You know, How many of you this morning might have read uh, the synopsis of this message and thought, oh, I want to turn up for that one. I want to, I want to go to North. I want to get a word from the Lord this morning. I, I've been really struggling with this, this decision and Sam's going to give me the three steps and I'm going to be able to make this decision this week. That's, that's great. Now, um, I hate to break the news to you, that, but that is often not how God works. <laughs> And if you're wanting to know what sort of decision you make, I often say to people, just make a decision. God will work the rest out. (laughs) Because you see time and time again the way that God works in these broad arcs of our life. You know, There were times, though, in the Old Testament where you had things like the Urim and the Thummim. What they were, they were sort of funny stones that were in the the breastplate of the high priest. And so if, if the Old Testament, like David, you see... David saying, should we go to this city or go to that city? And, and he would go for the ephod and the urim and the thum in, in the breastplate of the high priest. And so you would then get these things out. And they're like these little rocks, which basically you just sort of chucked them in the air. And you got a yes or a no from God. They were a binary type system. You just chucked them up and you got a yes or no. Who would like one of those? <laughs> yes, please. I think, by the way, we have our emotional versions of those. Goes, I just don't have a peace about this decision. 
I feel really good about that decision. But, you know, you never see that. You never see an Urim and the Thummim in the New Testament, do you? Can you imagine Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane? Gets there by the rock, flips the coin, heads, tails. Yeah, I'll go to the cross. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, does it? And here's why. You see time and time again in the life of Christ that God wants to grow you into the type of person who naturally makes good decisions. Of course, God might speak to you and get, give you promptings. We'll talk about that in a second. But God just wants you to make a good decision. If you're, th- if you're thinking that God's guidance is a bit like an urim and a thummim, then you're treating it like a technique. And you've got to understand that, that God's guidance is not a doorway. It's a path. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts a person plans their course, but the Lord directs their steps. Haven't you found that God's guidance and the wisdom you get in life is just a series of painstakingly small steps forwards and a bit backwards and mistakes and all sorts of horrible things that have to happen for you to learn, right? You imagine a book in, Dim- in Dimmicks, it says, how to get wisdom in just 80 years with a whole heap of pain and suffering. You want to buy that book? <laughs> and yet many of you know here this morning, that's exactly how God's guidance works. So... So we get guidance right first before we pray it. Are you ready for the prayer in a second? We're going to get to that now. But what I want you to get is that God's guidance is something that he does, not something that he necessarily gives. So some of you are saying, come on, I've uh, put the money in the plate. I've got to get three techniques out of this this morning. (laughs) Give me something. Here, look, if you want to see in David's prayer in Psalm 25, and here we are coming to the scriptures now. Some of you are thinking he's not even going to preach from the Bible this morning. Uh, psalm 25, David prays for guidance in this psalm. And he prays not one big prayer, but a m- series of multiple small prayers within this big prayer for guidance. Here's the first thing he prays, God, guide me to you. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. David, when he prays for guidance, this is the first prayer he prays, God, guide me to you. And can I say to you this morning that if there is any prayer that you need to get, it's this one. This is all you need. Because when you go through the ups and downs of life, you will find that merely the presence of God, if there be any prayer that answered in your life that will pull you through, it will be this one. God, guide me to you. You see it in uh, Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. Moses, when he's up there on Sinai and he's just about staring God in the face on the side of the mountains. What does Moses pray as he's praying for the people? Moses says, verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us out from here. He says, Lord, just give me you. And here's what I'm going to ask you this morning. How many times in the midst of those challenges in prayer do you go seeking God for an answer instead of just him? We want Urim and Thummim, give you a yes or no instead of just you, Lord. Why I think this is so important too is that more often than not, sometimes the answer that he will eventually give you 
you're absolutely going to need his presence in your life. Remember I said a couple of weeks back that God's no is as much about loving us as his yes is. And so you can come into that moment saying, Lord, can you, can you heal me from uh, this health situation? And his answer is no. Lord, can you help me with my career direction? I really, I really want this job. And the answer is no. Lord, can you help me with this relationship? It needs to come together. I love this person and I want this to work. And the answer is no. Sometimes God is going to give you answers to his prayer that absolutely need his presence in your life. David gets that and he says, Lord, guide me to you. Get me into your presence. And by the way, the person, you've seen people like this. When they go through these ups and downs in life, it's like they've got a spiritual winged keel underneath them, don't they? Uh, the, the, The more that the winds blow against them, the more that life tries to push them over, the faster they go. The the more fluid they are, the more stable they are, there is a gravity to them. You've seen them, right? Guide me to you. Here's his second prayer. Guide me to my true self. Interesting prayer. Verse 7 to 9. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches him and teaches them his way. Guide me to my true self. The Bible says foolishness, which is the opposite of wisdom, which is what we're really after. The Bible says that foolishness has nothing to do with the intellect. Have you ever noticed that there can be really smart fools in the world? And there can be really wise dummies. Have you noticed how people can be in incredibly smart in areas of technology and business, but they are absolutely fools when it comes to relationships? Wisdom has nothing to do with the intellect. Instead, wisdom is about having a clear understanding of reality. I think it was Dr. Henry Cloud once said, he said, the great distinction between a wise person and a fool is this. A wise person is constantly trying to bend themselves to reality. A fool, on the other hand, is always trying to bend reality to themselves. You hear the difference? And so what does David pray for? David prays for, Lord, please make sure that I am seeing reality clearly. Most of all, please, Lord, make sure that I'm seeing myself clearly in this. That's what humility is in all of this. A wise person is constantly bending themselves to reality. The fool is trying to bend reality to himself. It's the what about Bob principle. Remember that great scene in What About Bob? Where uh, Bob Bob Bill Murray is a, a character where he's got a multiphobic personality disorder. He's paranoid, schizophrenic. And so he, uh, he goes in to see his psychologist and he sits down in the psychologist's chair and, and Richard Dreyfus, the psychologist, leans back in his chair and he says, Bob, tell me about yourself. Are you married? And Bob says, no, I'm, I'm divorced. The doctor says, uh, why? Why? What happened? He says, well, doc, uh, look, let me put it this way. There are people in this world who like Neil Diamond and there are people who don't. My wife loves Neil Diamond. And uh, Dreyfus 
doctor sits back in his chair and goes, okay, so Bob, uh, let, let me get this. You've come into my office here and you're a, you're a paranoid schizophrenic with multiphobic personality disorder and uh, uh, you, your wife didn't leave you, you left her because she likes Neil Diamond? <laughs> and he starts going, ow, ow. Ow, oh, this is good, Doc. I really think you can help me. Oh, this is, this is good, Doc. And then the relationship continues from there. <laughs> Guide me to a true view of myself. How many of you this morning could be praying to God to solve a problem in your life when it could be entirely possible that your lack of self-awareness is the problem. That relationships are strained. That forgiveness is not being granted. That a pathway forward is being blocked. Because you're not seeing reality. Which way are you going to bend towards it or bend it towards you? David's prayer is not only to have God's presence, but to know himself He instructs the humble. Here's his last mini prayer within the big prayer. Verse 12, guide me through your ways. Verse 12, who then are those that fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. So here's here's David praying through. What he's really saying to God is, uh, before I ask you whether I should go this way or that way, what he's really saying for us is, before we should start asking, should we buy, should we sell, should we stay, should we go, should I marry, should I not, should I stay, should I leave, before we ask any of those questions about God's will for our life, before we ask about his specific uh, uh, command will for our life, we're to ask about his revealed will. For our life, as revealed in the Word of God. In other words, before we go asking him for the situational specific guidance, which he does give, by the way, we should always look back to the progressively revealed guidance that he's given us over time in his Word. I've 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 got that in my life. It's called dinner, bath, book, bed. Dinner, bath, book, bed. Dinner, bath, book, bed. Our three children understand dinner, bath, book, bed. When Zach came to me a couple of, uh, of, of months back and said, Daddy, uh, what, what are we doing now? I'm like, son, do you know the deal? You've had dinner. Where are you in the whole pattern? Dinner, bath. That's right, Dad. We'll go to the bath. Okay, dinner, bath, book, bed. What is this? Dinner, bath, book, bed. He instructs them in his ways. There is a pattern, there is a rhythm to life that will make you a wise person. There is a rhythm to life that will make you a person that can cut through life like a hot knife through butter. There is a rhythm to life that is designed to allow humanity to live exactly how God designed us to live. It's his revealed will. By the way, there's a wonderful New Testament example. Hebrews 5 says, Anyone who lives on milk... Being still an infant is not acquainted with the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained their faculties to distinguish between good and evil. And so the faculties there mean is that you have the ability to distinguish instinctively between a bad decision and a good decision because you're already trained in what represents a bad decision and a good decision. Does that make sense? 
In other words, you should know by now. Dinner, bath, book, bed. (laughs) You should know where you are in the pattern of all of this. And Part of God's plan is that we would work with him, be guided through his word, so that this happens, that his desire, like any good parent, is that you become the sort of grown-up child that knows how to make the right decision without having to ask. You should know this by now. Guide me through your word. Now, how do you do this? Here's the whole point. You need to do the grunt work before you get to that key fork in the road. Otherwise, you're going to end up in those water barriers at the fork. That's why those, that's why those people crash there. They haven't decided in advance whether they're going to go left or right. What I want to say to you is that the Christian life is like an open book law exam. I had to do them in university. And the one thing my lecturers always told me in university is just because it's an open book exam doesn't mean that the exam is going to be any easier. Anyone ever done those exams? With an open book exam, what do they say to you? Learn the stuff backwards first and then carry the book in there with you. And here's the whole point. All of the Christian life, it's an open book examination. You get to take this thing wherever you go. But you need to learn this thing backwards before you get into that moment. Those of you who've done a bit of life, haven't you found that it is way too late if you are in the middle of a difficult life decision to be thinking about all of the processes to how you make that decision? It's too late once you get here, right? You have to do the grunt work ahead of time so that when you move into these moments, the right God-guided decision naturally flows from who you are. Guide me to you. Guide me to a clear sense of myself. Guide me through your ways. Don't you think if you had these three pieces in any prayer, then we're going to be well equipped to make wise decisions, that God will guide us at least some point along the way? Now look, in all of this, I'm not discounting the work of the Holy Spirit to be able to guide you and to tell you a left or a no. But the whole point is, I think part of the reason why we don't Trust the Holy Spirit when we get into those moments of a yes or a no, or those prompting of our gut feel is because we haven't trained the faculties back here. When we train the faculties, if we know that we're with God's presence, if we have a humble and clear view of ourselves and of reality, and if we're constantly doing the grind work of the open book examination, by the time it comes to the moment when we need God to give us a yes or no through his Holy Spirit, if we've done all that, then you can step out and you can make a decision on that gut feel based on the confidence that you have back here. Does that make sense? Most people I find, they want the Holy Spirit to talk to them and give them the guidance without having to do any of the grunt work. It's both. It's both. And so all I want to say to you this morning is, look, if you are desperate for a word from the Lord, if you are desperate for God to show you some guidance this week, can I just say to you simply, make a decision and relax. Because you've been through that mental exercise. If he has been at work through all of the mega arcs of your life, then don't you think if you make that micro decision that in his sovereignty, his ability to control all things, all things for the good of those that love him. Verse 10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. That is just like Romans 8. All of these things are working together for your good. So for heaven's sake, just make a decision and relax. 
Because as the great preacher Jonathan Edwards says, he can make your bad decision good, your good decisions better, and the best is yet to come. So make a decision and relax. And if, if you don't want to believe me, then look at some of the players in the Bible who did that. What about Paul in Acts chapter 26 with, when Agrippa says to Festus, Paul ap- appeals to Caesar and, and Agrippa says, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Pop quiz class, uh, appealing to Caesar, was that a good decision or a bad decision? <laughs> some say bad decision because it meant he ended up getting jailed and going to Rome and he eventually died there. Bad decision. No, wrong. Good decision. Had Paul not gone to Rome, then Christianity would not have spread beyond the confines of the Middle East and around the world. Bad decision? Great decision. In the moment, it looked like a stupid decision. But he can make your bad decisions good, good decisions better, and the best is yet to come. What about Joseph? Remember the young guy with all his brothers had this dream and he thought it would be a really wise idea to mouth off to all of his older brothers as to how he would be ruling all over them one day. Remember that story from Sunday school? Uh, Mouthing off to your brothers, good decision or bad decision? (laughs) Bad decision. Gets him thrown into a hole, gets him thrown into slavery, accused of rape, gets him thrown into jail. Then the jail gets him thrown into the king's court. Then the king's court raises him as prime minister over all of Egypt, saves all of Egypt and all of Israel in a famine, forgives his brothers. Good decision or bad decision? God proves time and time and time again. If you are being gripped by analysis paralysis at this fork in the road, make a decision and relax in his sovereignty. If you are praying these things, God, guide me to you. God, guide me to a clear sense of who I am and reality. God, guide me in your ways. We're going to finish this morning a bit differently and not, not that much differently. I, I want us to pray this. I was thinking this morning I could think of a cool story to wrap it all up and then God said, no, we need to practice praying. So we're going to have a couple of minutes for you to pray that prayer, particularly for those of you this week that are moving into situations where you desperately need God's guidance. You won't get it from a sermon. You'll get it by going to him. We believe that he is amongst us and moving amongst us this morning. And so you might want to pray the big prayer. You might want to pray the micro prayers. But we're going to pray together now. If there is one hope and heart for me in this series is that we would continue to grow as a praying church. I don't want to be smart. I want, I want to be praying in a way that God does something so crazy and so beyond us in this place that when anyone looks in, Christian or non-Christian, they said those Northsiders have nothing to do with that. That's got to be God. The only way we begin there is not strategically, but it's now in this moment as we pray. So will you do that with me? Let's pray together and then I'll finish up as we wrap this up corporately.
Father, we acknowledge your presence amongst us in this moment. The way that you've been speaking to many of us already this morning, but in these final minutes that we have together. Father, we want to give you the space to speak to us and for us to encounter you, Lord. We declare that that is where the real work has been done in our lives and in this church. Father, I pray for Northside. We pray together. Right now in this moment as hundreds of prayers have been lifted up to you individually but united together in this corporate gathering that we have here that Father we want this to be a place and we want this to be a church in which you move in such ways in our future Father God that, that there would be no denying that your hand is all over this place. Father, we know in this room that there are people with all sorts of smarts. We've got people with managerial smarts. We've got people with relational smarts. We've got people with degrees. We've got people with resources in this place. And they're all good and wonderful things. But Father, we want something beyond that. We want something above that. We want you to move in this place. We want all of those things subordinated into a supernatural movement of you in this place and in our community, Lord, that defies explanation. So help us in these coming weeks, Father, to be awoken to who you are and your reality. Father, I pray for all of us. The prayer that David prayed is that your presence would be with us, that you would guide us ever deeper towards you in these coming weeks. Father, we would feel your presence amongst us. And like Moses too, we would say, Father, we don't want to move any further forward unless you are with us. Well, how will people know that we're, any, we're no, any different from a social club or a soccer club or a footy club? Where the people are God, and the only way that we can be distinguished is that is if you are amongst us, Lord. And so, Father, we uh, open up this season to you with whatever that would represent, is that we just feel that, Father... You constantly guide us in this place surprisingly through ebbs and flows of our church life. And you do things amongst us, as we've seen, particularly even in recent months, that's different and unexpected. And we declare that to be you. And Father, we would ask that if this be yet another season as we desperately seek you and your face, Lord, that you would show yourself to us in the small moments, in the quiet moments. Father, I pray for anyone in this room this morning that is yet to come to know you. That, Father, as they perhaps prayed that prayer, they wouldn't be sitting here otherwise if they didn't want to know more of you. That if they prayed that prayer, guide me to you, that, Lord, you would do that. That they would find you in those quiet moments, whether it's been in this service or whether it be at home later tonight. In those moments where they desperately cry to you and said, show me you, Lord, that they would find you, that they would find Jesus Christ. That they would find your saving grace as Lord and Saviour. I pray for that. Father, for the rest of us. I pray that you would open our eyes to the way that you are amongst us in our lives, that there would be an ever-present sensitivity to your leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that there would be an unlocking of fervent prayer in our lives individually and corporately, and in so doing that we would step into plans that you have for this place that we are yet to discover. 
Move amongst us, Father, not just in this moment, but the many moments as we move into this week. Most of all, Father, I pray for anyone here in this room who desperately needs your guidance this week, that you would be with them, that you would speak clearly to them through your Holy Spirit, that they would do all they could on their side to do the necessary steps to receive from you, but that, Father, um, supernaturally you would be as present as ever in those moments, Lord. Most of all, would you give us all a confidence to walk forward knowing that you are with us, that your sovereign hand upon us. We thank you for that. And we pray to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.